Welcome to Tuesdays with Andrea. It's the inspiration station for everyday people guiding humanity forward. I'm your host, Andrea Rios McMillan, and every week I pursue conversations that matter with people who can relate to the common struggles we all face. You'll get to know the person behind the profession and find commonality with people of all ages, cultures, and backgrounds. Listen as friends, neighbors, and coworkers offer meaningful, personal explorations of modern life and the values we hold dear, all for the purpose of strengthening and uplifting others. Everyone, today we have a very special guest, my twin sister, Alexandria Rios-Taylor, and I'm so happy that she's making her debut. Hey, Ellie. (laughs) Hey, thanks for having me. Of course. So you are busy right now. You are in the midst of coronavirus, of education planning and prep. So my sister, Alexandra Rios-Taylor, is assistant principal at Glenbard East High School and is equity coordinator within the district. She's also co-author of today's Inspired Latina series. And she's a doctoral student doing her master's level research in the areas of education and statistics. What, what is your research in? It's educational administration with a superintendent endorsement. Okay, that sounds very cool. (laughs) (laughs) And she's also my twin sister, person I trust most in this world. I I call when I have my most serious issues, my most pressing needs and problems. This is the person. So Ellie, thank you for coming on the podcast. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. (laughs) So what's going on? You have so much going on with school starting with um, back to school planning. How's that going for you? What's going on in your world right now? You know, in terms of educational leadership, we've been tasked with making sure that our students receive a rigorous, engaged learning experience. And uh, albeit right now remotely, we were uh, all fighting to try to get students back on campus as soon as possible. And unfortunately, that was not possible in phase four as of now in in the state of Illinois, and particularly in our district. So students are learning remotely, but in terms of education, in terms of uh, teachers and administration, we've been rehauling what that classroom experience looks like and hoping that our, our students are receiving that direct instruction as they normally would, albeit from the laptop or Chromebooks that they have. So uh, we've been busy. We're (laughs) doing our best every day. You know, we ask ourselves some really good questions in terms of facility capacity, in terms of safety guidelines, CDC guidelines. There's new guidelines that get pushed out with contact tracing, et cetera, which sometimes, you know, make us fall back a few steps before we can progress forward. So we're hoping right now to be back in session September 8th in-person learning with our teachers in the building and our students. That's what we're charged with and we're, we're doing our best to, to reach that goal. How do you feel about that? As a mom, I want my kids in the classroom. You know, I have two kids. Elena is going to be six. She's a kindergartner. Maceo is four. He's a preschooler. And as an administrator, I'm not able to work from home. So I can't be tasked with monitoring their e-learning. So I need the in-person instruction for them to make sure they know how to read. (laughs) I understand what you mean about you need your kids to learn how to read. Because yesterday, Jacob had his virtual school. And I'm like, well, Jacob, what's 24 divided by two? He's in third grade. (laughs) 
He's like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, well, do, what do you know and what don't you know in terms of like multiplication, division? I don't know what he doesn't know. Yeah. I don't know what they're learning yet. I can imagine from your end, do you feel that pressure to yeah. have to fulfill I do. education roles? <laughs> I do. I do. And, and mind you, the first few years I was with them, you know, so I was able to invest into like the day-to-day grind. And then the last few years, we essentially, my husband and I kind of flip-flopped where now he's working from home and he's in charge of remote learning and a literacy check and doing dentist appointments. So we're, I'm lucky that I have that support, but it daunts me as an educator to know that there is a gap between the the haves and have nots in this period, there was always an equity gap, but it is going to be, you know, immensely widened because of COVID. We're lucky that we do have support to pull together. Even if I'm not there, you know, my husband is home, but there are families that don't have that access. And so as an educator, I'm reminded of who those students are and how we can support them virtually, what, what services we can still provide. But you know, as a parent, I do need to know that my kids will, will get it, that they can read a <laughs> book, you know, in, in, a, in a few minutes. Right now, it takes like 30 to just get through simple phrases and sentences. But that's part of, I guess, what this year is turning into is we're all trying to digest progress. We're, we're trying to dig- digest actionable items, you know, and, and, and then make it maneuverable. Yeah. Um, so, Yeah. What's your first priority right now when you're talking about work and understanding that there is an equity gap, but then there's still a charter and a mandate to educate the students that you have? What are your immediate goals for that? And aside from getting students into the classroom, because I know that's one of them. Yeah, our SEL curriculum and support, so social emotional learning is huge in terms of development for our preschoolers, elementary students, junior hires, and high schoolers. And so we can still wrap around some SEL curriculum and embed that into our instructional model. We can still uh, provide those services through counseling, through social work minutes, through meeting with school psychologists virtually. We can still provide that even in the dean's office with restorative conversations instead of just punitive. So what we're doing is we're reassessing what the framework looks like. And it's actually a silver lining because it gives us some time to do that. So we're not deferring to a default system. We're actually having to reinvent it in real time. And so it gives us more strategies and practices that are modern, that are restorative in nature, that focus on emotional intelligence and not just academic there are great things that are coming out of this. It's not just like burdensome, albeit it is heavy. Uh, first and foremost on our minds is the health of our staff, of our students, and making sure that everything we do is keeping them safe, even if that means that we're not in building. Yeah. Let's talk about your background and how you got to this point of assistant principal. Tell us about your journey. I know your story, but other people don't. How did you get where you are? How'd you become who you are? I mean, that's a good question. I just remember like in the second grade going, you and I would go into the dump truck of the school by the house. We'd go in, I'd pull out some empty notebooks and some old pencils and chalk that was on the, you know, anything that was in that truck, we were just like, well, this is good for us. Prior to this, you were a teacher. 
Yeah, I taught for 11 years as a Spanish teacher, and then I was a, a dean for two years in the same district in which I'm now assistant principal of student services. So it's been a journey, but I my passion for teaching and my first few memories of play was playing teacher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, and I was a good student when we were growing up. There was a Aurora Christian School on the corner near us, and every year the school would throw away their books, and then we'd grab all of the books and all of the notepads, and we just loved it. And then my sister would teach me. This is probably our roles to this day. Yeah. (laughs) And then I remember in college, somewhere along the lines, I forgot that I had a passion for education because graduating high school, I thought I wanted to be a journalist. And that's what I was intending to go to college for as a major. And we went to North Central College. It was a small liberal arts college. And what they do is make you take classes that just fulfill uh, gen ed requirements in order for you to be able to go on to your specific major requirements. So the one of the classes I had to take was intro to education. And for whatever reason, it, it didn't, you know, spark my interest. So I kept putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And it wasn't until the end of your sophomore year that you had to declare major. Yeah. And I waited until the end of my sophomore year. So it's literally second semester of my sophomore year. I'm like, I got to take this class. I'm forced to now. I took the class immediately fell in love and realized I have to double major now because there's no way that I cannot pursue education. So everything about it has always just, it's been like a well that overflows at times and I've loved it. I've been very happy in education. It's definitely um, a different route. I know you're business minded and corporate. My husband's a computer engineer, software development, and it's definitely, you know, there's, there's not a lot of perks of having like a, a seven to four, job. <laughs> but the rewards are the relationships that you gain with the staff and the students and, you know, watching year after year, just new, wonderful, you know, students just graduate and go on and, and come back and want to re-engage and connect. That's been the beauty of it. What about teaching has been that thing for you? Is it about helping people develop their mind? Is it connection with the students? Is it being able to learn a new concept and be able to explain and articulate it clearly? Yeah, I think people, there's two things. It's it's very simple. It's a very simple formula. You've got to love kids and you've got to love learning. As long as you love learning and love kids, you're in the right profession. And even though you do have your tiresome days, it doesn't get old. There's a purpose behind it. You have your why. And so that really just invigorates you to just keep going day after day. That's the easy formula. I love kids and I love learning so much so that I did decide to go and do my doctorates and have been very satisfied in doing so. The network that it has opened up and the scholarship, I, I thought I knew literature. I thought I knew journals. Um, no, your doctorate really does humble you and it opens your eyes to new levels of writing and literary canon. That literary canon has, has widened for me. So um, a lot of work, but I love it. You, you started at teaching and then you progressed to dean and assistant principal. What made you want to go into the administration aspect of teaching? 
I got my master's pretty early on in my career. I knew I, I just loved teaching. I wasn't interested in just climbing. And, and so I didn't. I was very happy being a classroom teacher and I guess fueling that passion in that role. And then I knew that I'd ha- I have my master's. So it's like you have armas, like you have that in your bag if you ever needed to and wanted to. What's um, armas? Armors? Arms? Yeah, like I have arms I have that artillery artillery arsenal exactly. okay meaning I have you know the licensure if I wanted to go administrative route I could I just didn't choose to at the time because I was very much happy in my role as teacher but then after 11 years I had had kids and I knew I was ready for full administrative you know realm it was just suddenly much like your stage of life where you're suddenly tasked with the next what if, like the next chapter, what would that look like? How would that look? I started entertaining those questions like, okay, I think if, if I did this, how would we make it work in terms of longer schedule, weekends and nights with a dean schedule? You go from teaching to the classroom to now supervising 30 plus events a year and that can take a toll on your family so I just I had to answer those questions but I was intrigued so that sudden intrigue of making sure that I had a role in school development and not just instruction I wanted to sit at that table of leadership I was ready to make that move and how has that been for you just that move in itself yeah, I, I've loved it. I mean, I think what one thing that moms do best is we listen to our intuition about our kids, about our families. My intuition was telling me that administration was the next route to go. And it served me very well because I was prepared for it in terms of your ability to, you're not just delivering information, but you're helping to create it. Mm-hmm. And you're helping to shape what this looks like at the building level with your team. That's huge because as a teacher, I never had that ability to shape what I'm being told to do. It's like I can choose how I do it, but the what wasn't up to me. And now I get a voice in shaping what that looks like for the building. And being an educator, I know what that's like. I know the needs that they have. I know the wants that they have. I know students really well. So it's great to be able to work with the team on that larger vision. What are those immediate needs that teachers are going through that other staff at high schools are going through as they're navigating this new normal? Uh, There's a big pull for safety. That's a need. You know, you have to have Maslow's hierarchy before you can have Bloom's taxonomy. So you can't just... (laughs) You can have what? (laughs) I know Maslow's hierarchy. What's the other one? (laughs) Bloom. So it's like there are questions of deep learning for students and how we measure and engage whether or not they're learning surface level or deep learning. But before we can get to deep learning, we have to address right now the very functionality of are you safe and can you do what you do effectively Um, and in the building we we just cannot yet and so uh, if you ask me what do teachers need right now they need to know that they are safe and their families are safe and then in terms of students that's the same response safety the pandemic is real COVID has hit and penetrated every area of business and home life so education has felt that impact and so We're trying to make sure that everyone knows our single most priority is to maintain safety because the acceptable 
risk factor in any building should be zero. You know, we should not have a single fatality that was unavoidable. Aside from that, I would say teachers want autonomy to be able to create their units and their lessons in an engaging way. And so part of the administrative lens is to support that, offer resources, offer professional development that would adequately resource them in order to be able to to do that. Let's get into your personal story a little bit. Yeah. Who are you truly? <laughs> I, um, who are you truly? You know, I, I'm a mother. I'm a sister. I'm someone who loves to play. You know, I, aside from my role as administrator, I love to just be at home with my family, enjoy some downtime, drink a good glass of wine, enjoy some social time with friends and family. I'm a normal person, and sometimes I feel like my work role will impede my ability to just go out and have fun because I always think of myself from the lens of the community. Mm-hmm. But um, at Down to Earth, I'm just a regular person who wants to enjoy time with friends, family, and you know, unwind when I can. What areas in your life have taught you your biggest lessons? Where have you found the most meaning and the most growth and development? Yeah, I would say definitely moments of crisis or conflict. If you're fire, you're either going to be refined or you're going to just burn. The moments of crisis and conflict have really identified to me what my purpose is, what my visions are, and the steps I need to do in order to stay focused on that and not give in to the moments that just make noise. What were those moments for you though? Like that you can think of like your most growing pressing moments. It has 2020 been that year for you? Mm, Yes. I would say 2020 has definitely been that year because there's been moments of deep confusion and helplessness that COVID brought as a mother, as a working person in general, just not knowing the state of what that would look like. And then also as an educator, just seeing the gaps that are being caused and created as a result of those moments. It's not just a short period of time. It wasn't just like a month long thing. This has now been half a year of crisis and trying to navigate through that privately and professionally, and then also with your kids, like explaining that to them has been unique. So I stand with a lot of people who are in the same boat. I think this has really made clear uh, what are the priorities in life. When we stop taking health for granted, we start prioritizing relationships. We start prioritizing time. We start prioritizing people. And so that's really been the silver lining. And you and me have gone through our little disagreements this year. The first time we fought as adults. We've never had a fight. I don't ever remember really fighting with you or disagreeing with you like ever in my life. Well, Um, well, growing up, that was different. (laughs) (laughs) We fought like cats and dogs. But as an adult, um, I, we really have had such a unique closeness and allyship where, you know, we just leaned on each other. Um, And so for the first time ever, we had a conflict where we did not see eye to eye and that hurt, you know, that hurt me to the core and it hurt you to the core. 
it could have been the result too of just COVID trauma. Maybe we just were battling with so much that our relationship was affected by those emotional barriers, but it happened to unfold during COVID. And so it was kind of ideal because you're isolated. So you can't see each other anyway. <laughs> right. Like you're like, I'm not calling her. She's not going to call me. <laughs> However, it was also sad because I had nobody to cope through COVID with. Yeah. For the first time I didn't have that support system and it was hard. It was sad. I was really upset as you were too. And I think that every relationship can feel the pain of a loss of something or someone. And for you and I, we just hadn't experienced it with each other. Right. Lack of trust or lack of confidence suddenly was there when it never was before. So you and I had healing to do and we were able to do that, but it, it took time. And we definitely, I think, made a lot of wrong decisions before we made the right one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what I took away from that is how much I, I love you and I respect you and I just want to be in a relation. We could, we could disagree all day long, right? But let me come over. <laughs> like, <laughs> and then I feel like, you know, like, or like, let, let, let's hang out. And that's one thing I learned because that was something that I think was def- definitely tough. What was one thing you learned? I learned there's no relationship like your sister, truly. Even your spouse, especially when you're twins, you're so connected. Um, And so I learned that nothing else compares to the value that that brings to my life. So, of course, everything else became unimportant. And I got to a place where I don't care about conflict. I don't care about ego. I don't care about who did what and why. I just miss you. I love you. I miss the boys. Like yeah. healing brings joy. And yeah. that you chose ultimately. And you did too. I also learned that you need time to choose that. Both of us had moments where one of us was ready and the other one wasn't. And there's no peace found in that. We both have to be ready to move forward. And that goes in any partnership. Anytime there's conflict, both parties have to have an intent to resolve. And then, you know, finally, the biggest, I think, or the other lesson is just joy. You know, truly, you you want to choose joy. Because when you have the weight of the world on your shoulders, and it's uh, a long day, who can make you laugh like me? (laughs) No one. (laughs) Truly, no one. So what worries you right now? What keeps you up? What is really getting the most attention or taking the most mind space? It's COVID, you know, what, how that is continuously shaping what we are able to do at the building level for our students and staff. That keeps me up at night, all hours. I'm always thinking about ways that we can get students in the classroom, you know, as soon as possible, but again, without the risk of health and safety. So um, I I want a vaccine. I want us to go into phase five. I want the CDC guidelines to be lifted as soon as they're able to lift them. And and so we can get back to normalcy as soon as possible. I mean, when you think about students who weren't able to learn from March to June, and now we definitely, you know, are offering services in the fall, but there are some students who are going to have difficulty accessing that. To me, it's a very high price to pay to have students possibly unengaged and or falling behind during the year 
because of this. So as a mom, I was, and then as a wife, my worry is time. You know, I want to devote myself to my community, but I also want to be mom, be home yeah. with the kids, have a slice of pizza, give them a bath, put them to bed. So just, I don't want to miss the moments. And I think all working moms can relate when you have mom guilt, you know, you, you're working and then you come home and, you know, a 30 minute conversation is a little fuzzy. You're, you're listening, but you're not really listening because you're thinking of everything else you have to do. And I'm very conscious of, I, I need to be present with them because my time with them is so limited yeah. um, that I want them to know how much I love them, how much we're doing this for them too, not just for other people's community. It's for them as well. And then you're an author. <laughs> how did that come up? Working as a dean, I was working with discipline and trying to implement restorative practices. But the students that are on rotation in my office are the ones who are most at risk or most at need. When, when you say restorative practices, what do you mean by that? So restorative practices are going to be derived with a framework that is not based on punitive consequences from a violation of policy or behavior. So when students um, are not performing and they're not achieving, what you're talking about is a school education model that doesn't discipline or maybe take away from? There's a place for discipline and punitive accountability, but the restorative teaches the why behind the behavior, the function of the behavior, and then also works to adapt new strategies in place of that behavior. So if a student is lying and cheating on assessment, it's not just a punitive, like this is what you get as a result of this decision. Instead, it's a conversation, well, were you stressed? Were you trying your best and you didn't want to anger your parents by getting a bad grade? And in place of that behavior, which is cheating, what else could we do? What are options? So It sounds very fundamental and it it sounds very elementary, but these are approaches that work very effectively for high schoolers. And so that's how we're framing our um, discipline model. Okay. Anyway, students that are on rotation in the office, in the dean's office, find themselves breaking policy, making bad decisions, not attending school. And so tying into how the book started is I've friend who was leading young Latinas who are ambitious and motivated and have it together. But at the same time, my heart went out to all students who need the extra support, who don't have the pathway. And so we started talking about wanting to do a book for today's inspired youth. It's kind of like a blueprint for youth in today's world with real conflict, real decision-making. And in that journey, we ended up narrowing it down to young Latinas because that's our primary base first and foremost, um, with the option, of course, to expand it. And so we started with a group of young Latinas who are brave enough to share their story and teach young girls how it was to completely go from Colombia to life and education in the United States and what that transition was like, or go on your first job interview and not being able to have a lot of confidence because you weren't exposed to that before. And what are some tips and strategies that you can offer the next young Latina? So that's how it, it was organic. It was very easy 
it kind of unfolded right before our eyes. And then suddenly, you know, we had our book. And we're like, holy cow, this is amazing. So then we went and embarked on volume two. It's been very fast and it birthed beautiful friendships. Now the girls, you know, call themselves a sisterhood and book sisters. And they have a network of solidarity that we are just very proud of. And they're local. They're not like, you know, untouchable. They're not super, you know, elite. They're real and they're here. They're here. They're in our schools, in our communities, homegrown. They've dealt with challenges and they've overcome it. So if you ask what message do I want to release, it's resiliency, it's growth, it's the evolution of a woman who is young, but looking at her path forward with uh, a blueprint for how other people have paved that for them. So that's that's the book. How do you feel about this, Ellie? How do you feel? Love it. Love it. You know, you asked me that question and and sometimes you- Are you and, proud of yourself? I am, but I, I never reflect on it. Like I never take the moment to sit and pause. That's why I'm asking you right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Moments that I can, I am overjoyed and I feel like I can take that moment and kind of like- Oh, that's pretty awesome. But it's pretty awesome. Yeah. But then the next thing, you know, my mind starts going just the next thing can wait (laughs) for two minutes. (laughs) (laughs) This is clearly the fundamental difference between you and me. (laughs) Like the next thing can wait for two minutes. (laughs) But I hope you're proud. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I love this podcast. I love the message. I love the reach that you're having. You speak to a wide audience and you have personality like you're fun you do too you do too I think you control your personality way more professionally which I understand you get to see my personality I do I wish they did I wish they saw more of you at home yeah because you're so fun and closing what quote or life philosophy do you want to leave behind that defines your point of view or the point of view you'd like to carry with you I would say, and this is a motto in my building, and I I really align with it. We use the phrase student-centered, people-focused. And that really resonates because although we want to make sure that our students have the best experience possible, the personnel that you have leading them, they also need the support. You need the relationship piece is fundamental. And so remembering that Everyone we interact with, they're human, they have emotions, they have families, they have goals and dreams. So keeping the relationship alive within our interactions, that leads me in in my day-to-day. And then I would say personally, we have a motto at home that um, my husband and my kids helped create. And it says, use your genius follow the vision, help the people. And so my husband's a software engineer. So he um, chose use your genius because everyone has a genius. I chose follow the vision because I'm very linear. And then my kids chose help the people with their toddler hearts. So that really guides me and gives me purpose throughout life. And the, the anchor for that was we wanted the kids to have an anchor, you know, like a compass that guided them. And so we decided that the family motto would be that for them. So, yeah. And it's a great one too. Like yeah. it's so easy. Help the people, use your genius, follow the vision. Perfect. 
And so, and then when you narrow down big decisions, it totally illuminates the right decision for your family because yeah. if it passes those tests, is this going to help you in your genius? Is this part of your vision? Is it, is it helpful and of service to other people? If it passes that litmus test, you know your answer. But a lot of big moments, we've, we've been able to use that for clarity. Who are the three most pivotal people in your life and why? I would say Gentry, my kids, and then you and mom. In terms of like foundational who I am development, it would be the kids really, they made me a mom and there's no love the way that a mom has. The, the love of a mother is only illuminated after birth, whether it's their own birth or through fostering or adopting. That mothering love is different. The spousal love is a unity and a choice that you make and it's beautiful. And then the, the love from your first family is... I like that. First family. Okay. And mom's going to watch this. So what do you want to tell mom? Love you. Love you. <laughs> and Thank dad. You. Hey, hey, I love all of them. Like no competition here. But again, I think a woman's connection to her biological mother and to her sister, especially a twin sister, it's unique. Yeah. I I love my other siblings. I have a connection with them as well. Uh, It's nothing personal, but um, we're truly twins. We're twins. (laughs) Yeah. You know what they say? Is that our kids are technically siblings. They're like twiblings. <laughs> All right. Well, this was fun, Ellie. I will talk to you later. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Tuesdays with Andrea. There are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, and I appreciate you making the time to listen to mine. If you like this show and want to know more, check out TuesdaysWithAndrea.com or please leave a review on iTunes or drop a line in the YouTube comment section. Until next time, please stay kind in your mind, nice on the web, and stay hella hopeful in your heart.